Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by CLNS Media. Today on the show, Coles Wicker is here. We are going to chat about Bradley Beal's potential extension. We're going to talk about Dragon Bender signing with the Milwaukee Bucks and whether or not we believe in him at all. And then we're going to talk about some rookie extensions, both that have happened in the case of Ben Simmons and Jamal Murray and could happen in the case of guys like Pascal Siakam and Jalen Brown, or even like guys like Karis LeVert and people like that. So, uh, Cole, how you doing, man? Doing well. I think this is the longest we brainstormed before a podcast that we've done so far, just because we're in kind of the dead season and uh, need to generate contact, but hopefully, or content, I should say, hopefully uh, this suffices. <laughs> yeah, Cole, Cole and I are 40 minutes into our conversation now, and uh you won't listen to any of those previous 40 minutes, but <laughs> you will get to listen to this podcast. And I think we've actually done a good job of game planning and brainstorming for this one. Uh, this is the first or this is the last podcast that I will be completing without having seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So I'm excited about that. Uh, this podcast will go out on Saturday morning as well. So uh, I'm just generally looking forward to seeing this movie tonight and uh, talking about some extensions here. Let's do it. So we're sponsored again today by Bet Online and Manscaped. We'll get to them a little bit later on. But the first thing that's worth talking about is the Bradley Beal uh, offered extension, at least. This was the first day, Friday, uh, that the Wizards could offer Bradley Beal an extension. And David Aldridge is saying, uh, you know, my colleague over at The Athletic, it's hysterical, by the way, that I get to call David Aldridge my colleague. Uh <laughs> Just a total joke. And he says that Bradley is not going to accept it immediately. Uh, He is going to, there's some hesitancy there, obviously, in terms of the way the team is being built. Also, uh, this number in terms of three years, 111 million, is not the maximum that he's going to be able to make if he just uh, waits it out and signs after these two years are complete. So, Cole, what are your overall thoughts on Bradley Beal, his extension, and where the Wizards go from here? Yeah, it's just rare to see a free agent of Bradley's stature at 26 years old do one of these veteran extensions because it's kind of a dinosaur of the CBA. So how this works is the first year, He's eligible for five years, but that includes his remaining two years on his contract. So it's three additional years. It would start at 120% of his last year's salary, which would be somewhere around $34.5 million. It would increase to forty, a little over $40 million, like you said, about 111.8 million overall. You just rarely see guys do that in this kind of market because he could be he could qualify for the supermax as far as this season, how he performs then. You know, he could lock up a you know a five-year max with Washington or a four-year max when he's a free agency, when he's a free agent in 2021. So this is just kind of like, again, like a dinosaur aspect of the CBA with veteran extensions. You, you usually see this for guys who are aging, like a Zach Randolph, for example, did this. It, it's not really, it doesn't usually apply to free agents of Brad Beal's stature. Yeah. I guess maybe the like closest in stature to Bradley Beal that did something like this is maybe LaMarcus Aldridge. Um, but Aldridge was, that was a regular veteran extension. And I guess Brad's is a veteran extension as well. But LaMarcus wasn't quite the max player that Brad was. 
or Brad is. Uh, LaMarcus, I believe, was coming off of an all-NBA year, but wanted to get some extra years as he was aging, as opposed to, uh, in Beal's case, where he's 26 and entering his prime. Yeah, exactly right. So you'll see this with older players at times if they just want to tack on additional years of security. For Brad Beal at 26, he's going to be a preeminent free agent when he's 28 on the market. And again, do you want to lock yourself into not give yourself flexibility of being with the Wizards for a guaranteed extra three years? Well, there's that, and there's the fact that the salary cap is going to continue to rise as well. So 35% or 30% of what the salary cap is now uh, is very different than, or no, because he is eligible. Is he eligible for 35 right now? Not yet. He has to satisfy all NBA. He would have have to wait this season. If he qualifies as an all NBA team this year, then he would be next summer as far as signing a Supermax extension. Yeah, so he can't even sign a Supermax extension right now. Um which means he has to wait until, you know, at the very least next offseason. And if he waits until next offseason, he's going to have much better clarity on where the Wizards are going, at least. Uh, how this new front office structure is going to work. Because uh, as Dieter and I talked about on Wednesday, I mean, the, there is some there are some questions uh, out there right now about how Sashi Brown is going to look in his new role. Tommy Shepard's obviously a first time general manager, John Thompson in a role that doesn't really exist around other NBA front offices. The structure of this front office is just going to be very, very different going forward. So I think it's prudent from Bradley Beal to wait and just see where this goes. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I don't really see the incentive to sign now, even though like with the projected cap, I think it's supposed to be around 120 million in 2021. It's not far off. Like his max via that signing as a free agent that summer, as far as a starting point relative to what he can sign with 120 percent of his last year's salary in 2020, the, the gap isn't huge. It's it's actually pretty small. But just from an overall flexibility standpoint, if you can qualify for the super max this season, why wouldn't you wait and at least if you're going to stay with the Wizards, wait for that bigger contract? potentially instead of locking yourself into a situation that is below what you could possibly earn. Yeah, totally agree. Um, If Beal is to just full on decline this deal from the Wizards. Now, let's just like kind of throw this out there. Uh, What do you think the Wizards should do? Like, it seems like he's just like, it doesn't seem like he's shutting the door on it right now, but it does seem like he is, you know, at the very least exploring his options. If you're the Wizards now, you're placed in a very difficult predicament, I think, because if I was them, I would probably trade him because two years left on his deal, you're not getting any value from that deal this year. Like you're just not because you're not going to be anywhere near competing. The roster around Bradley Beal is the worst in the NBA uh, around a star. Let's say like if you take away every other team's best player in the league, uh, this Wizards roster is the absolute worst roster in the NBA. Beal obviously makes that a little bit different because Bradley's very good, but Bradley on his own is not pushing you toward a playoff bird. So you're essentially only getting one year of Bradley Beal plus his bird rights. uh, Plus you're getting John Wall back and hoping that John Wall looks healthy. I keep coming back to the fact that I would probably trade him if he does not agree to do this deal this summer. Where do you kind of fall on this whole thing? I mean, I would honestly trade him regardless. I I think that he has more value via trade than he does even signing this extension for the Wizards. There's not going to be in a competitive place in probably the duration of his contract, honestly. Like you look at John Wall, is it realistic? What is it? What is realistic to expect from him upon returning from injury? You know, he's a a point guard who's absolutely reliant on his athleticism. If he's he's not going to play off the ball, he's not going to shoot at a high level. It's just a very tough circumstance. And 
for Washington, they have two years left on Bill's contract. This guy is a 26-year-old. You know, he's going to be the best player. If he was a free agent in 2009 or 2020, he would probably be the best free agent on the market. And you have a guy locked in for two years. I think you can do a lot more with that for your roster and building your franchise long term than you could by extending him and not putting him in a position to optimize that extension via competing. Yeah, I think that that's basically right. Uh, I would think that among actually potentially moved pieces in the NBA, so like remove Giannis, remove Carl Anthony Towns, remove Luka Doncic from these discussions, I would think of the pieces that could realistically hit the market over the course of the next year, Bradley Beal is probably the most valuable piece on the market right now, right? That's what I think. I mean, whenever people talk about star trades or moving huge asset deals, like Bradley Beal's at the forefront of that discussion. There's just not a lot of available star players, and some people don't consider Bradley Beal a star. I think he just barely meets that threshold, and he is the best player. Like, I available even though he's not right now he could be the best player available and there should be a market for him there's a lot of teams or at least a decent amount of teams who have assets who have contracts that can you know they can amass to take him back that makes sense for both that acquiring team and for the wizards yeah i mean bradley beal averaged 25 5 and 5 last year uh on plus efficiency and did it getting the absolute most attention from every defense every single night out last year. I do think he is legit a top like 17 player in the NBA, something like that. I'd have to go through and and really outline the list or whatnot, but he's definitely like a top 25-ish player to me, being a little bit over conservative maybe. Yeah, so I can't imagine a world where a top, let's call him, let's go in between where you and I have him and call him a 20, top 20 player in the NBA. I can't imagine that a top 20 player who is 26 years old, who ha- who's going to play this entire year at 26 years old, by the way, um, who has two years left on his contract, doesn't fetch at least a super high level young player in multiple first round picks. And by super high level young player, like you, you know, you had mentioned Boston is a potentially interesting landing spot for him. Like this is, this is Jalen Brown, the Memphis pick plus like multiple other elite level assets. Yeah. And I would absolutely do that if I was the wizards, by the way, I mean, just for the Memphis pick and the shot at someone like Cade Cunningham in 2021, of course, with the lottery system being reformed, you're not guaranteed anything high, but I, I think that you can easily construct deals that are beneficial to the wizards, both in a long-term setting, especially just because again, you're not gonna be able to optimize Beal now. So why not look to get a long-term asset? I'm a little reserved on getting Jalen Brown's restricted free agency rights or Ingram's, but I think if we're talking reality, I, I think that might have some allure to the wizards. It's actually an interesting question going forward here. So the team that's always stood out most to me in a Bradley Beal uh, deal is Denver. I think that Denver, you can just create such a fascinating package. Like you could say even Michael Porter, Malik Beasley, Gary Harris, plus like two first round picks. Like that's a ridiculous package, I feel like. Yeah, they are one of the three primary teams, along with New Orleans and Boston, who make a lot of sense to me from an asset perspective. You think of how the league breaks down these kinds of trades, what executive looks looks for, like a really solid young player that produces Gary Harris, a, a really good prospect. I don't know where people come down on Michael Porter, but he, for some, would qualify as that. And then Pitt Capital. Pitt Capital is a little bit more dubious because Denver already owes that 2020 first to Oklahoma City. So it would have to be like a first available 2022 pick, and they could 
attach an additional first rounder if they wanted to go that far into you know tapping into their draft capital they have future picks i don't know how much denver is going to entertain that they're very they're an organization that's very much cultural and like they synergistic i would say is how they develop their players and and i don't know if they're going to surrender all that pick capital but they can definitely get a deal done and make a competitive offer if they want to so who do you think has the best offer because like to me i would probably rather have Gary Harris, Michael Porter Jr., Malik Beasley, multiple first-round picks from Denver than what Boston can offer if they don't offer Jason Tatum. I think it's a very good case that you make. I I look at what's the best possible asset in that deal, and I still think the Memphis pick. I'm just so intrigued by it and, and like the percentage chances of getting a high echelon player that I might value the Memphis pick over a lot of these players, like over you know Jalen Brown over getting Gary Harris who's on a very good contract or a very quality contract for what he is but he's not moving the needle for you like I it depends on what your take is on Michael Porter Jr. if you think he's a move piece I would easily take Denver I'm not as high on him and I don't really see looking at Denver's trajectory moving forward with Jokic and with Murray locked in I don't really see them bottoming out like maybe if you get picks in 2024 2026 and kind of own their draft for the foreseeable future, I, I just don't see them being that bad because they already have like a top 12, top 10 player with Jokic on their roster. So I, I think I might lean Memphis pick is just the best pure asset play in this group. So in terms of the way that the structure of the NBA draft rolls out now, uh, let's say the 2021 Memphis pick, there's Cade Cunningham, there's Evan Mobley, right? Both of those pieces, I think we would both agree are better than Michael Porter Jr., correct? I I would add Garuba to that as well. And I would say those three, based on what I've seen so far. Yeah. Uh, Usman Garuba, by the way, uh, you know, uh, international player who is very intriguing, but I think he's a little bit farther off than you do. Um, so let's say, let's even extend it out to top four. Let's say someone else emerges in the next year. There's a 52% chance that the asset is a top four pick. Um, I'm not as convinced as you are that Garuba is as good at, or certainly as talented as Michael Porter at the very least. Um, we, we can question the injury aspect of Michael Porter. So let's, let's say top two here for a second. So the top two, there is something like a 27% chance, if I remember correctly, that the team, even if Memphis finishes dead last, ends up in the top <laughs> two. Um, obviously, the top three teams all end up with the same odds. The fourth overall pick has like a 48% chance to end up in the top four, 12.5% chance to get number one overall. So let's say you're in that bottom three and you have a 27% chance to end up with an asset that's better than Michael Porter. I think it's... I don't know if I would take that. And that's like betting on Memphis being a disaster in 2020, 2021, when they are going to have John Morant and Jaron Jackson. I don't expect John Morant to be good right away. So I'm, I'm, I'm high two, on Memphis's I mean. future. Yeah, no, I'm, even year two, I don't expect him to be that good. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I like them long term, but Jaron's ready probably now, honestly. But I don't think, like, you have to have such high level initiation, especially in the West. Like, I don't think that they're going to be game breakers there. But it, it's a fair point to bring up. But this is well, here, about here, risk. Here's what I would tell you, though. Like, De'Aaron Fox just, you know, took a massively disastrous king situation yeah like this was a this was a historic leap as well by De'Aaron Fox but I do think that once you get that primary initiator in place Memphis's pieces like if if John Morant hits they probably do win like 35 games in year two 
Yeah, it's completely possible. You're, you're just betting on the likelihood and the odds here. Like, it could happen. I would bet against any kind of player making a De'Aaron Fox leap because I've honestly n- never seen that before from a prospect as far as going from year one to year two like that. But it's possible. Like, this is all what you're weighing as far as, for me, I'm taking the shots at the potential difference-making guys because that's what I think you have to get in the NBA to win. So that's why I value like a shot at the Memphis pick, because I feel like there are at least one potential difference maker in that class. And if you take a deal from Denver, this goes down to Michael Porter, though. What were your thoughts on him? What is his health situation like? A lot of intel that we both don't have from a public setting. It, it just comes down to your assessment there. But I, for me personally, my methodology is always to try to get difference makers in a trade like this. So back to the way that this affects a Bradley Beal chase. Uh, so we have Denver, we have Boston, your third team. Uh, if, who, who was your third team off the top of my head? I can't remember. New Orleans. New Orleans, yeah. So New Orleans could throw out there something like Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram. I mean, they could just throw out like the Lakers pieces uh, plus picks, right? Yeah, the Lakers picks, their own picks. They have favors. They could aggregate salary um, if they want to do that trade this year. So there's a lot of different options for them. They have Jackson Hayes, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. They have a lot of potential options that would depends on i have a holder for washington who they would prefer honestly yeah like which guy do you want miami is the team that feels like it's most often mentioned with bradley beal uh, i don't really get how miami can come remotely close to topping even like a secondary offer of what denver could offer like even say denver is not offering its best offer uh, or if new orleans is not offering like its absolute best offer i still feel like they can top miami yeah, I don't really consider Miami at all in like the forefront of this conversation. I think there's too many teams that have better trades, even secondarily, than they do. Can I throw a random team at you? Do so, because I have two more to throw at you after that. <laughs> San Antonio? Okay. So if they really like Derek White and DeJounte Murray, and San Antonio decides that they want to keep competing at the highest level, um, I think you can make that case. That And plus, they had the two first-round picks this year. They have all of their picks going forward. Uh, if they really just liked Derek White more than um, Michael Porter or like Derek White more than Brandon Ingram or something like that, that seems doable to me yeah it's you can entertain the option again we're getting more into eye of the beholder how you evaluate these prospects and what the wizards think long term you know white's an older player i i love white but i like him on a team where you can get optimal value he's already what 25 like i want him on a team where you think you can compete in like the foreseeable future ideally so but if washington loves him i mean he's he's a really good player in my opinion but probably he doesn't meet the threshold of that swinging for the difference making upside when you're a rebuilding team yeah i mean you could throw out dejounte murray there too as well like if they really like dejounte murray or something like that uh i'm trying to think who are who's one of your teams so this is going <laughs> to turn some heads here. Golden State with D'Angelo Russell. I think this is really fascinating after the 15th of December when they could turn around and say, like, okay, Washington, if you want like a, a young all-star caliber player, we can easily meet the salary. I think Beal's a better player than D'Angelo pretty clearly, and he would help Golden State compete in the interim. So I think that's a really fascinating trade that probably won't be brought up a lot, but I kind of think this might be the thought process behind get, signing D'Angelo to that deal for Golden State, just getting an asset on board that you can have some maneuverability with. It's a good question. So D'Angelo Russell for four years or Bradley Beal for two years? I still think I would rather have Bradley. But it's not, but like given the double doubling the asset control that it does at least make it a little bit closer at the very least. Yeah. And I'm not saying necessarily that I do that, but I'm just giving you a potential option of what could be considered like, a, I guess, a formidable offer. If Golden State were to offer 
Russell, maybe the Wizards do value Russell enough there, having that guy locked in as a younger player, and depending on John Wall's health, you might need another initiator type on your team. So I think that they could talk themselves into a deal like that. I don't really think Minnesota can get involved, do you? No, I, I don't know if they have enough move pieces, honestly. like Of course, they're not trading towns. Um, I look at the rest of the roster, like, who are they really going to aggregate? Like, Culver? Does, how much do the Wizards like Culver? It would be like the Wizards would need to actually value Andrew Wiggins and then take on Culver plus, like, yeah, you know, Kata Bates, Diop, and Josh Koji. Yeah, and I, I just don't see that turning, like, pushing the needle at all, honestly. Yeah. Like, there's just better offers out there. My last team, uh, the Clippers, this is a very long shot, but after December 15th as well, they can aggregate with Mo Harkless, Patrick Beverly, and depending on how much Washington likes Shamit or Justin Robinson, they also have their 2020 first. I think this is kind of like the Spurs where it can get outbid, but it's just something to bring up. Like I think the Clippers would actually entertain a deal like this. What about the Pacers with a Sabonis-centered package or a Miles Turner-centered package? Interesting. I didn't think about Miles Turner. Um, that might be interesting for the Wizards. That's, I think that you can throw that into this general discussion of whatever moves the needle for Washington as far as how they evaluate prospects. I'm trying to think like if there's any other random team out there that I think like could feel like they could compete enough to convince Bradley Beal to re-sign. Um, Brooklyn? Okay. Like Karis LeVert and something else? Can they aggregate enough salary? I'm just, I don't have their cap sheet pulled up. Let's see. Like, could you, could you do Karis LeVert, um, Jarrett Allen, and something in, like, just salary filler? Yeah, but you'd have to include guys like Dinwiddie, Joe Harris. You, could, you, could, you might be able to get up to the threshold of where you could make a, a competitive offer there. Trying to, I'm pulling up the salaries now. What's Bradley making right now? It's like 26, something like that. Yeah. Let me see. Yeah, twenty, a little over twenty-seven. Yeah, so they real like it'd be Dinwiddie and Joe Harris to get to eighteen, and then yep. Lavert gets you to twenty-three. Allen gets you to twenty-six. So maybe, maybe that'd be it. Maybe it's like Harris, Lavert, uh, Joe Harris, Spencer, Dinwiddie. Yeah, and that, again, I think that's a competitive offer. Uh, it depends. I mean, paying Lavert, this is kind of the same situation as you run into with Ingram from the Pelicans and Jalen Brown from the Boston. It's like, who do you want to actually pay long term? Because you're up for, on that clock pretty much immediately. Yeah. And I think I would rather have Karis Lavert. So we'll talk about Karis later whenever we get to extensions. I think I would rather have Karis Lavert on a, let's say he gets four a hundred. Do we think that seems reasonable for Karis? It definitely seems reasonable. He's a little bit of a variance. Like, I could see him, a team, talking themselves into If he proves himself healthy this year, I, I could see a team talking into him even at the max, considering the market next summer. But yeah. I, uh, 25 sounds reasonable. Totally agree with you. Um, I think I would rather have Karis LeVert for five years, $103 million basically, versus Beal for two years at $50 million. Yeah. And I Plus, think that's you a, could, like, a credible argument. Move on, Didwitty. Move on, Harris. Maybe you can get, like, Kirks in that deal as well. Um that's like a that's a reasonable move, I think, for Washington. I think there are going to be better offers, though. I think the three teams that we mentioned at the top, and I agree with you, I would move Bradley Beal at this stage. Uh, if he doesn't accept that extension, which he should not, I would move Bradley Beal. And you right now prefer Denver's offer the most? Hmm. Or I should say hypothetical offer. <laughs> they haven't made an offer. We, we don't really know what they'd offer exactly. Yes. I think my okay. answer to that is I think Denver can theoretically put together the best package. 
Maybe New Orleans. Maybe sense. New Orleans can put together theoret- theoretically the best package, just because they have so many different pieces that they can just. They have so many different pieces of different value, right? I think that that kind of flexibility in deal making is often underrated when we talk about these like hypothetical yep. trades, right? So like Denver has Michael Porter Jr., who's going to be a very volatile asset to teams around the league. Um, in a deal like this, they have Gary Harris potentially to match salaries and. Um, give the wizards a good player that I think another team would pretty comfortably pay what, like a first round pick and a young player. Like that's probably worth Gary Harris, right? If they wanted to move him elsewhere after Um, Malik Beasley, who's like a good asset. I really like Beasley, but again, like not like some super high level asset either. Uh, Monte Morris, a good asset, not some crazy asset. Like the Pelicans have, Brandon Ingram, who is basically the same level asset, in my opinion, as Michael Porter Jr. right now. Um, Lonzo Ball, who's a higher level asset. They have Josh Hart, who is in that like Monte Morris, Malik Beasley realm. But they also have like that middle ground of Jackson Hayes. And I would put Nikhil Alexander-Walker like a little bit higher than Beasley and Morris. So having all of those pieces, I think, plus like an expiring salary, for instance, in um, Derek Favors versus the expiring salary that's 30 million in Paul Millsap. So to me, they just have more movable parts that could work for a deal, plus more draft picks as well uh, from the Lakers and from Atlanta as well. They have another pick, which I think might be projected to be two seconds, but they have more picks and they have more just like assets within their organization of differing value that I think leads to flexibility to make deals like this. Yeah, I mean, the Pelicans have, they have so much flexibility in how David Griffin's attacked this summer that it, I think they probably have, if you're betting on a deal coming through, it'd probably be them just because the Wizards have so many options they could choose from, honestly. But again, for me, I look at what is the best high value target in the trade like what is the real move piece and that depends some on your philosophy like some people could view michael porter as that again i view that memphis pick as the most valuable getting jalen brown i would actually try to move him again before the trade deadline this year before the extension i think you can get you know an additional pick and probably a young player for him i think there's going to be a team he's probably going to get like close to maxed if he gets to the free agent market this summer i think some team's going to do it they did it for harrison barnes you see these high pedigree bigger wings they almost always get paid. So I think Washington could flip him again if they wanted to as well. But for me, again, it comes down to that Memphis pick. And even though it's a small percentage chance, I would take a small percentage chance shot at a difference maker. What do we think? Like, how many games do we think Washington is going to win this year, even with Bradley Beal? Mm, I haven't done win projections and like that yet, but they're a bottom six team to me. Like, it's like the Hornets. Um, I mean, you could go on the list. Phoenix, Memphis, they're, they're in that New York, Cleveland. I don't know if they're quite as bad as some of those teams. They're more, more in alignment with Phoenix. So I think Phoenix is going to have like a reasonably good offense. We'll kind of see where that ends up. They're more like there for me, though. They're, they're, they're a bottom six team, but maybe like fifth or sixth worst. Yeah, like I think they're definitely worse than Phoenix. Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. Um, Phoenix is over under is 26 and a half right now, uh, according to Bet Online, who we'll get to now. Uh, Washington's is 28 and a half. I would flip those pretty easily. Uh, I would probably take the over on Phoenix and the under on Washington right now. I think that's definitely fair. Because like, for me, it's like I know the Cavs are going to be bad. Memphis is going to be bad. Like those teams at the very bottom, the Knicks, I have no idea how some people think the Knicks are going to be good. But there's like a, a very, very bottom tier. I think you could say Washington maybe at the head or the forefront of that. And I think Phoenix is the same a little bit ahead of Washington. I think Phoenix. Man, I think Memphis might be like better than Washington. Could be. 
Man, that's tight. Um, man, the bottom of the league this year is going to be kind of a trash fire, I feel like. It's very segmented. Like, if you get to the West and you start doing projections, like, it's clearly Memphis and Phoenix out of it. And it's the same in the East. There's those four teams at the bottom in the East, and there's, like, a pretty big divide. Like, I think the Bulls are going to be kind of low-key good. Not, like, good-good, but, like, they're better than the rest of these teams we've talked Battle about. Battle for the eighth seed, maybe. Yes. Um, well, you go to bet online, you can bet on all these over-under win totals that we've just been talking about. Uh, and if you use that promo code CLNS50, an extra 50% will be added onto your sports betting bankroll on your first ever deposit at betonline.ag. Um, to maximize your earn, you can put up to, uh, or you can score up to $1,000 worth of free plays from this one-time deposit. A minimum of $25 is required to qualify for this bonus. You'll receive the 50% bonus on your qualifying first deposit only. Uh, Please see BetOnline's general rules for additional terms and conditions regarding all bonuses discussed here. But go to BetOnline.ag, use that promo code CLNS50, and you're going to get 50% off, uh, or you're going to get an extra 50% added onto your sports betting bankroll uh, on your first ever deposit. So uh, please just go do that. Support the show. Let's talk real quickly about Dragon Bender. Uh, Dragon Bender signed a two-year deal with the Bucks. I don't have particulars on this deal yet. Do you? No, I don't know if it's fully guaranteed or second-year team option or player option or anything like that. Um, what is your immediate reaction to this? Because like, I look at this and say this is probably one of the best possible landing spots for Bender. Yes, I agree. Simplify the offense, a lot of catch and shoot spacing, um, you know, a very specific ecosystem as far as what they want to accomplish defensively, schematically, but just simplifying things and putting them in an environment where it's a winning environment. It's a team that's going to thrive. Maybe you build up his confidence, but he's usually pretty good at that as far as letting guys shoot the ball at volume. So maybe that, you know, helps Bender turn the corner because I think a lot of his problems at Phoenix were mental as far as confidence goes and just in that ecosystem he was never going to thrive so I like the deal there's no risk here so let me put it to you this way so the Bucks used the (laughs) 30th overall pick to essentially get rid of Tony Snell's money so that they could re-sign everyone that they wanted to re-sign right yes other than Malcolm Brogdon obviously who was let go and they got an additional first in two seconds for him um if he was in this draft, 21 years old, seven foot one, has talent, but we actually do have like some understanding of where Dragon is right now in comparison to other NBA players. Would Dragon have looked out of place going 30th overall in this draft? No, not based on the sample for me, not based on the sample that we have thus far. I mean, I, I don't know, like that low. You can make any argument against Dragon. Like I, I'm pretty low on him now. I, it's hard not to if you've watched a lot of his right. film. So I, I don't think he's an, it's not really a move. He's not an asset for me at all. It's just kind of a, a shot in the dark here. Right. So like, would you rather have Dragon Bender or Jordan Poole? Oh man, I'm not really high on either guy, but I, I would just take Poole just for, you know what I mean? Like I, I think Bender would probably be like a late first, mid second round guy at this point. That's just my opinion. Right. So like from a variance perspective, I would agree with you. I would take Jordan Poole, but I don't think those two guys are like that far off of the spectrum basically in terms of like where they should be taken. Um, yes. Like you, we could go up and down the lineup. Like, would you rather have uh dragon bender or like uh, Davidis Servetus, who was the 37th overall pick <laughs> that's going to Detroit? I would rather I have bender. Yeah. yeah I, I think I would. Yeah. So basically, 
to me, the way I'm looking at this is the Bucks just got a 21-year-old kid for two years that essentially replaces the 30th overall pick that they just sold. Uh, or comes close to it insofar as like they don't get the contract value that comes with a rookie scale deal. But to me, like that's kind of the way I'm looking at it. Yeah, that's a really interesting way of framing it. I didn't even come to my mind talking about this, but uh, it's definitely interesting. I, I view it again just as a pure like no risk play. In fact, yeah, this it's a kid shot in the was dark. exactly. It's like this kid was once a top five pick. Uh, let's take a, a dice roll on what the talent is. Like Stanley Johnson got like three point six million or something from the Raptors. It's like some of these guys are just high pedigree guys and better organizations. I, I don't know if, how you want to define better, but more stable organizations that can provide like someone like Dragan a more consistent environment to thrive are just going to take like low risk shots on these kinds of talents even though i'm not sure if obviously dragon's talent is to the level that i personally thought it was coming into the draft but there's there's no risk here so if we're looking for signs of life from dragon bender um he shot it much better from two-point range this year he was almost up around like 70 percent because phoenix really simplified it for him um he did only shoot 22% from three this year. Uh, the jumper and the free throw percentage and everything that goes along with those things. Like the shot is the biggest thing that has not translated and thus is the most concerning aspect of his potential prospectum. Um, the defensive like acumen, his defensive IQ is like interesting, but I don't know if he's athletic enough to take advantage of that. Yeah, I agree across the board. His shot is kind of a tightrope. Not a lot of arc on that. It is not translated well from three. Again, I think some of that is mental, but just from a mechanic standpoint and from an optimal arc, it just hasn't been there. And he has to shoot. That's something that he has to show consistency with. And I think this year he showed, or this past season, he showed a little bit more aptitude and a little more comfort putting the ball on the floor, attacking closeouts. I thought he had some nice moves in bigger spaces. He's not like a tight space handler, but he is coordinated enough to put the ball on the floor and make some passes. And he, the Bucks don't really utilize that kind of pick and pop like the center's making a bunch of playmaking, right? They just want to spread the floor. But I think that Dragon, if he can shoot and if, you know, Coach Bud tweaks his mechanics a little bit, maybe you get better arc. If he can put the ball on the floor a little bit and pressure you a little bit that way, I think defensively, the instincts, like you said, he's a pretty smart team defender. If you put him in like a Giannis, not obviously not going to do it as well, but if you put him as like a weak side rim protector and he's not like the primary big where he can just get moved around by bigger players, if he can kind of help and then recover, he has length and he has mobility. So I think that Buzz is going to find a way to optimize him there. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, like I said, like this is a shot in the dark. I think it's a good idea. Um, I-, I wish the best for Dragon. I hope that it works out. I obviously like Cole, I'm just very skeptical of this ended up being a thing, you know, I I hope it is, but uh, there's, there's just too much reason for skepticism here. And I will say one quick note, just as a, from a roster standpoint, I'm not sure if this says anything about DJ Wilson in particular, someone who's flashed defensive aptitude when he's gotten the chance. Um, I just don't know if they have enough, like there's almost too many guys on that team now to an extent where somebody might be the odd man out. Maybe that's Bender. Maybe he's not going to get, you know, rotation minutes. Maybe that's going to be DJ Wilson instead, but it's just something to monitor. Yeah, like if I was the Bucks, honestly, for the first half of the year, I would use DJ Wilson in that role, and I would throw Dragon Bender in the G League for a little while and just let him see if he finds his water. You know what I mean? Like they have a, you know, their G League team, if I remember correctly, was not very good last year, but they're bringing in a new coach, I believe. So 
maybe the new coach, they get a little bit more aligned organizationally, and we see where it goes, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, test him as many ways as you can. You have to worry a little bit about you know his mental confidence if you send him down to the G League. I, I don't know. I don't know Dragan personally, but I do know that that was one of the biggest public publicly criticized elements of his game is he just hasn't translated as far as having that consistent confidence. So whatever optimizes that, I think that Bud has to do. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, Dragan is a guy that has some hair on his face. I am also a guy that has some hair on his face. Let's talk about Manscaped real quick. Uh, Manscaped, uh, I believe, is particularly not for hair on the face, but uh, support for Game Theory does come from Manscaped, who is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. That is a statement that I just read out loud. Um, look, Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. There's their Lawn Mower 2.0. Uh, it's proprietary skin-safe technology, uh, so this trimmer doesn't snick or snag or anything like that. Uh, manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. Uh, obviously, you should not use the same trimmer that you use on your groinal region as you do on your face. Uh, here's what I'm offering you. I am offering 20% off plus free shipping uh, with the code theory at Manscaped, T-H-E-O-R-Y. Uh, always you'll use the right tools for the job. Uh, get 20% off and free shipping with the code theory, T-H-E-O-R-Y at manscaped.com. I'll be honest. I, I really like the electric, uh, you know, lawnmower 2.0 razor that they sent me i've been using it on my face not my uh groinal region uh not on the family jewels as manscaped so eloquently puts it at the top here i really like it i think it's actually like an awesome awesome tool and i really do actually support manscaped uh because like the tools that they have uh and they send with you with the uh with the trimmer are actually really spectacular for uh, evening out your beard, evening out like everything across your face and stuff like that. So uh, I'm a fan of Manscaped. Uh, I obviously very much appreciate them for supporting the show. Cole, your thoughts? I got nothing. No. <laughs> That's uh, I think that might be your best read of all time, actually. <laughs> uh, the transition was a little weak. I, I couldn't get into it, I felt like. Uh, c- couldn't get into it without... Hopefully not mentioning Dragon Bender's nuts. <laughs> that would have been a little rough. I, I don't know what the reception would have been like to that. <laughs> was was trying to, was trying to avoid that. So uh, yeah, go to manscaped.com, use that code theory, and you're going to get 20% off plus free shipping. Uh, let's talk about rookie extensions, Cole. So Ben Simmons and Jamal Murray have already signed five-year, $170 million extensions. Do you have thoughts on those? I mean, they were expected. For me, at least Simmons was expected. You have to look at the last, the recent history of number one picks and what they get offered their second contracts. And almost all of them, save for Anthony Bennett, and we know why, are max players. So Simmons was always going to get max money. After his first time playing, it was like, this guy is going to be on board for this. He, of course, got that fifth year max built into his contract. So if he makes an all-NBA team, that will jump to a 30% payment. In theory, it can be anywhere between 25 and 30. So I'm not sure if he gets the full 30. I haven't seen that reported yet, but I would assume that would be the case as well. It was always going to happen. I I think Simmons was the guy that, just the pedigree, how good he is. I mean, we're both really big Simmons fans. This was this was something that was just like an inevitability to me. Does it feel like to you, the NBA, just like people who speak about the NBA have gone too far the other direction on Simmons? Yeah, I, I do think just because he is such a divisive skill player, like he has such 
obvious strengths and obvious weaknesses. And whenever you have an obvious weakness as an NBA player, it's always picked apart in ruthless fashion. Like, what was that quote the other day? Like, Kobe Bryant talking about Brandon Roy. It was like, this guy has no weaknesses in his game. I think a lot of people view basketball that way. And if you have glaring weaknesses, a lot of times people and, and fans and the media or whatnot don't tend to not focus on just what your strengths are, especially at the expense of shooting, which is the most you know primary skill in the modern game. If you can't shoot, you just get diced apart. Yeah, and it, Ben just does so many other things at such a ridiculously high level. I understand that the playoff performances have been not great, but he's also a dude that's averaging like 17, 9, and 8 right now in the NBA or something ridiculous like that. What were his uh, official numbers last year? I feel like that's the ballpark, right? Something in that range. I don't have him in front of me, but he, he's very productive. That's one thing is like he's been efficient in the regular season. He's productive. He plays defense, and defense is always going to be underrated by the masses just because it's harder to see. But when you see a guy 6'10 that can move like that, I think he should get a little bit more credit on that end, especially for his on-ball defense, like switching over, guarding Kawhi in the playoffs. He's a versatile player. And unfortunately, we haven't gotten to see that peak versatility at Philadelphia, do some to roster construction, like using him more as the role man, like we've discussed in the past, because in the half court against the best teams, he is more of a big man than a point guard. And I think that's a lot of the device of his too, is like, what position does this guy play? He's not traditional as far as an archetype or how we define relative positions, which I think hurts him a little bit as far as the discussion goes. If Ben Simmons shoots it at some point, can he become the best player in the NBA? He can, yes. I'm still not sure if I'd bet on it just because there are issues with his finishing that I think are there as far as his ability to explosively finish and be physical consistently. But there are avenues for him to be the best player in the league, and you can't say that for a lot of different guys. Yeah, like I think it's going to be hard for him just because Giannis is like basically in the same age ballpark as Ben. But yeah, if you told me Ben became like a top three player in the league, uh, I would not be shocked by that, if only because like look, Blake Griffin finished third in an MVP voting one year. And like Blake Griffin's game, there there are some similarities in terms of the way Ben plays and the way Blake plays on offense, especially. Definitely some overlap. But again, Blake could always like pick and pop. He could at least threaten you from the mid range. And now we see him shoot threes off the dribble and stuff in his like seventh and eighth seasons. He's, he's crazy as far as development. Blake is so underrated. He's probably even more underrated than Ben Simmons is to me personally. Like he had seasons where he was like legit, in my opinion, one of like the five best players in basketball. Like he's just really fucking good. But there are like skill overlaps, the ability to handle and pass for sure. Both of these guys are really cerebral players. You just see it coming in, again in different roles. And that's something that's so integral to understand when you watch these guys is Simmons a lot is on the ball in the regular season like Blake was always next to a Chris Paul early in his career like more of a, a role man which I think Simmons couldn't do to the same extent just because he can't pick and pop at all he can't create and self-create in those situations but if you utilized him with like a spread pick and roll system as the screener I think he would absolutely dominate I agree with you on that I'm very uh angry already about having to argue about Blake Griffin being a hall of famer do you not think so or do you think he is no I think it's like not even close like, he absolutely is a Hall of Famer. Okay, yeah, we're, we're in lockstep. <laughs> yeah, like, I think I, he's, he's really good, man. I don't even think it's going to be a debate. Like, he's just no question a Hall of Famer. He's an absolute stud. Um, yes. So, Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray's the one that got a little bit more publicity, I feel like, because Jamal just hasn't, I mean, frankly, been as good as Ben has been. Um, Jamal had a pretty solid playoff run. I wouldn't say it was, like, exceptional or anything. He had a good playoff run. Uh, his numbers in the playoffs, 21 points per game, uh, five assists, four rebounds. Uh, 
The problem there was the 53% true shooting percentage uh, and his uh, assist rate just hasn't leapt at all, really. Like he's not some dude that is going to make high level reads in pick and roll. When you have Nikola Jokic, it's kind of a perfect fit. Ultimately, I think this is a deal that they had to make. I think it's a reasonable contract for the uh, Nuggets to sign. I think it's a reasonable contract. I think like for Murray, he had to take this just because it's $170 million in his pocket. And he's going to be able to hit free agency again by the time he's, what, 26, 27, uh, right in that range. So like you got to you gotta take this deal if you're Murray, and I don't have a problem with Denver offering it. I I remember seeing vaguely that there were incentives in this deal. I, can't, I don't know for sure if that's the case or if it was just the full max. So that's another thing that we have to follow up on. But for me, with Denver's standpoint, I get it. Like, this is how they're built. Like, they're all about cohesion, building continuity. They want to bet on their younger guys. And I, I get that to an extent. I, I just don't see what the problem is with waiting an extra year to see how Murray develops. Because with this contract, I know there's some stat sources and whatnot that say he's going to be worth even more than this. I'm pretty dubious on that. I think that this contract, you're betting on improvement. You're betting on better decision-making in the playoffs. You're better on better reads, like you noted. You're bettering, You're betting maybe on a little bit more athletic upside as far as getting to the rim and beating guys. Like I don't think Jamal Murray is like the isolation scorer that's going to put you over the top. And that's kind of what he needs to be. He needs to add that perimeter dynamic to Denver. Yeah, I, I agree with my... you. Um <laughs> I yeah. yeah, I agree with you on that. Like I do think he needs to be able to kind of be that isolation scorer. I think he needs to be the um the guy basically for Denver who leads their perimeter offense. Now Nikola can obviously do a lot and he will continue to do a lot, uh kind of carving teams up from you know, he does it at the top of the key, he does it um even beyond the arc, he can knock down threes. Uh obviously has the ability to just kind of back dudes down and then make ridiculous passing greeds. Like Nikola is exceptional, but they do need a guy who can like legit handle the ball, be explosive with it and create offense. Yeah. And that's the thing with me is like Murray's clearly a good player, right? But he's being paid like one of the cornerstones of the team. And I don't think that Denver, they're going to be a very good regular season team and they're a very good team overall. But are they going to be, are they really a contender? Like, would you bet on them as one of the five best teams in the playoffs to win? And I think if you're going to do that, Murray has to take a pretty dynamic leap as far as that goes. So I I would answer no right now. I do not see them as a top five team in the playoffs. But I don't have a problem with locking down a guy that is going to be a 20 point per game scorer. He averaged 18 last year on, uh, I want to say, during the regular season, he was like, the last two regular seasons, his true shooting percentage, uh, while averaging 17 points a game, is 57%. So, 56%, I'm sorry. So he's been slightly above league average, averaging 17 points a game as a 20 and 21 year old. So let's say he is, by the time he's 24, a league average, um, true shooting percentage guy who's averaging 24 points a game. You get that guy with Nikola Jokic, plus you have all these assets. I don't know that you need him to be the number two guy. I think that you're paying him as a 25% max player who can be your number three guy after you go out and trade for the number two guy. Yeah, that's absolutely fair. If they can really go out and get like in my opinion like either an initiator type or get like a primary wing score those are just very hard to come by you know what i mean so 
I think they're they're not really committing to their core yet because they are so early in the process. They have a lot of flexibility with like Gary Harris and like you noted the young prospects on their team. I just don't see if it, they are viewing this as Murray more of a, a number three. I, I'm not even sure if he can be that necessarily, but he can if he's going to do it on any team. It's going to be the Nuggets because he fits so well with Jokic's strengths. But I, I guess for me, this just comes down to a kind of player. He's not good on defense. Let's just be clear about that. And it's not about, for me, the production in the regular season. It's about, can you be this guy against the best teams in the league? That's how I view things as far as if you're committing to a core. And I don't think he satisfies that threshold enough for me. But this is a guy who's gotten better. He's gotten more athletic in the league. He's gotten healthier. There's a lot of people who are higher on him than I am. But I look at his contract and say, I think I would have waited an extra year and just given him the five-year max if I had to as a restricted free agent instead of committing now so I can see what that development looks like. I think that's reasonable. Okay, let's, uh, let's move on and talk about predictions now. Um, for every guy, we're going to talk about them briefly, and then we're going to give a prediction on what the extension is or if they go through with an extension. So let's start with Pascal Siakam. I think he's pretty clearly the top guy on the board right uh yes so to me this is just a very obvious situation where they should max him yes i I totally agree i think this i mean it's he's going to be worth it i think he's still ascending we've seen the improvement and the rapid rate of growth in his game and i think he's actually worth this contract like i do think he is a max player uh and I think that he's worth like it's not something that we factor in necessarily upside. Like I think he can even outperform this to an extent, just because I mean I don't know if I've ever seen a player take his exact arc in the league. Just his motor, yeah. you you really bet on the work ethic. So with the, where the Raptors are losing Kawhi, I mean I think what they should do is just commit to their current franchise cornerstone, and I think he's worth it. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I would have no problem giving Pascal five years. Uh, that would be for his age 26, 27, 28, 29, and 30 years. So yep. maybe he, like, could you make a case that maybe Pascal would rather have a four-year extension than, like, a five-year extension? Um, maybe? Like, it, I think. Maybe a four. He might get a player option that last year, so we can't factor yeah. that out. Like, maybe he gets a four plus one to get back up on, on the market. And I would do that, too. I, I still think for you're locking him up for basically the entirety of his prime. Yes. Uh, the funny hypothetical I threw at you was Masai Ujiri and Pascal obviously have a very good relationship and have for many years. The It would be hysterical to me if they gave him a four-year max with an opt-out after three and Masai just like randomly moved on after this season and paid Pascal, but also had him hit the free agency market just a little bit earlier so that he could go after him later. <laughs> That's some Illuminati shit. But uh, I, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if this isn't a full max contract extension. Like, I think it will be. But if Masai gets like, you know, two or three million dollars off a year, it's like a de facto max. But I wouldn't be surprised if Siakam took a little bit less just because it's Masai. And usually these kinds of good things happen. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think it's going to be a max. The years are the question sure. for me. I think it's a max. Like the question that I kind of was talking about with, uh, I think it was with Mo DeKeel and Dave Dufour on the Nerdishy Wrote podcast was, where would you have Pascal in the hierarchy of NBA players right now? Ooh, hi. I mean, conservatively, I said like thirty top, to forty. Yeah, I would say top thirty. I think conservatively, maybe at that latter part of the twenties. I have to go through and generate a list, but he's up there. I mean, he's in that range. Yeah, I mean, he's a stud. Uh, the big thing for me is going to be I want to see if he can generate his own shot efficiently without Kawhi getting attention. Yeah, it's definitely fair. 
Um, that's why he's like more 30 to 40 to me. But if you told me he was like a top 20 player in the NBA this year, I would not be surprised. Nor would I. Um, okay, let's, uh, let's move on. Jalen Brown is who I have next. I don't think I would consider him the next best guy, but I think his situation is arguably the most interesting. Um, he and we could maybe say Brandon Ingram for that one too. Uh, but let's talk about Jalen. So Jalen Brown had kind of a weird year last year. Uh, I would say that it was kind of disappointing, to be honest. He was kind of thrown in and out of the starting lineup, strangely. If you look at the numbers, I you know from like a per minute perspective it's not like they were markedly different i think that his uh production basically remained stagnant the three-point shooting dropped to a more realistic level it was like right around 35 percent um where are we at with jalen brown i I don't really have a great opinion on this uh he is still just 22 years old so there is a lot of youth there um time's on his side i think he's going to be like a top 50-ish top 40-ish player in the league but if you if I gave you the uh over under of 0.5 all-star games for Jalen Brown what would your pick be I think I'd take the under honestly and it's not because I don't like Jalen Brown I think he's a quality player I just worry like what is his role on a good team like I think you're seeing it right now like maybe people think he can do more I've never been a fan of his feel for the game his passing and creating for others I just think he leaves a lot to be desired there and I think he's really done well in this role I worry a little bit what happens if he goes outside Boston's ecosystem and how they kind of run their team him being more of like a pure wing but a lot of people might sit there and say you know this guy's an uber athlete which of course he is 95th percentile or greater athlete in the NBA and maybe he can do more as far as a creator. I'm just a little bit more dubious as far as if you start featuring him as a primary player, which he's never been for Boston. He's thrived in the role that he's been in. So that's kind of where I come down. I mean, he's going to get maxed, I think. I, if you look at a guy like in the past, Harrison Barnes from, from Dallas um, after playing with the Warriors. That was a special situation. But these bigger wings, Otto Porter, if you have pedigree and you are six seven six eight and you can shoot the ball relatively well, especially if you're an uber athlete, like that – concerns me a little bit i don't think jalen brown on a good team is a max player i I would be interested in him but at a number that is not going to be reasonable for him and his agent okay so what number would you want to extend him at uh probably somewhere in the range of like i would probably do 18 to 20 ish million a year just because i feel like he still would retain value on that contract but i don't think that's reasonable okay you're not far off of what i would have said i would have said like 22 so okay Starting at 22, that probably gets him to, what, a four-year, like, 97 million? Something like that? Yeah, something in that ballpark. Uh, which um, I think is still, like, that could be... What would you think of that as a contract? Not, I, I don't want to be, like, too surface-level, like, treating a player like not a player, but just as a pure asset, like that contract, a four-year, $95 million contract. How is that a valuable contract to a team in a trade? That's a good question. Um... I would say that you would still be able to convince a team that it's an asset. Okay. Because we've seen him, like, unlike Andrew Wiggins, like, we've seen him play a role that is valuable on a winning team. Like, we've seen him be a starter on a good team before. Um, With Wiggins, I feel like we haven't really seen that at all. Uh, We know that he can slide into the background if necessary. Um, 
so yeah, like I don't think that would be like a Wiggins level disaster deal at all. Yeah, I agree with you for the most part. I, I do think again, they're not the same player, but you take a guy like Barnes who played a very specific role on a good team for the Warriors and then was more featured on the Mavericks and it was kind of a disaster. Like he's just not that caliber of player. I worry so, a little bit that Jalen Brown's gonna be treated like that. I would disagree with you that it was a disaster with Harrison in Dallas. Um, that first year, he was actually really good as a isolation scorer. Last year, he moved into a role that was more like catch and shoot, solid, you know, multi-positional defender. Uh, this just generally is our disagreement on Harrison Barnes that we've had like six times on this podcast. Um, <laughs> but like, they still were able to very easily move off of that deal and get a guy who went 15th overall like 18 months earlier. I just think, um, from where I'm coming from in this standpoint, it's a disaster as far as getting value on Harrison Barnes' co- contract relative to winning basketball. Like, when he's a featured member of your offense, I think he's more of an empty calories guy. I like him in the role that he's probably going to play on the Kings a lot more. But is that role worth, like, $24 million a year? In my opinion, no. In your opinion, it's fine. So, I, I guess for me, it's like, if I'm... I think Jalen Brown is a tertiary option on a good team as far as offensively. You don't want him in a primary decision-making role, primary shot-making role. And it's just tough because when you overpay those guys, you can't pay everybody in the NBA. And he's not one of the three best players on a potential contender to me. Yeah, I think that that's definitely reasonable. But I think that like the fourth best guy on a team, like with the way that the cap is going to rise, is probably making $20 million a year. Yeah, it's it's tough because it depends on what your max guys are making, right? What Are they 25% max, 35% max? That factors into display. I'm not sure how many three-star teams we're going to have. But if you have a three-star team, I don't know if you can fit a Jalen Brown at $20 million. You know what I mean? Like that becomes almost untenable. You need like your third star to be on a value contract. If you go back through history, there's a lot of value deals on the contenders for role players. Like Shane Batty, for example, never made more than like 13% of the cap. And that's what made him so freaking valuable outside of being awesome is like he, he just didn't command anything near to what he was worth, in my opinion. And when you start paying these tertiary guys over market value for what they're worth from a production standpoint on a winning team, I think that's where you get into trouble. Right. So like Toronto had four guys making $20 million or more this year, um, including the Jonas Valanciunas deal, which was what, like 17. And they still found a way to get off that pretty easily to get to Marcus Gasol, who was like on a yep. deal that was just much better. So the Warriors had five guys that were making at least 16 this year. Um, let's see who, who else, who else was uh, Houston ha- is just like a bunch of haves and have nots. Right. Uh, like I feel like to build a contender, you just kind of have to spend money. Like I, it's it, like I, I guess to me, whenever I look at Jalen Brown, like I don't think that's an unmovable deal. Like I think the teams would still pay Jalen Brown twenty two million and be fine with it. Yeah, that's what it just comes down to is what is the trade value potentially there. I'm talking more like and by the way, a team like you. Good. Like, here's the thing. We're talking about Jalen Brown at a deal that he's never going to agree to. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'd like, that's why I started this conversation being like, I like him at a number that's not really reasonable for and realistic, honestly. But just from a team building standpoint, I agree that you have to spend. A lot of owners don't want to spend the tax, though. And when you start building under, you know, the the salary cap when you have these especially these 30 percent 35 percent max guys you can yeah. aggregate contracts at times but that's always fickle right how many times do, do guys really come on the market we've, we've seen it recently with like Kawhi, anthony davis it does happen but i think it's a little bit rarer than you think it just kind of restricts you a little bit but overall i think that you know jalen brown at you know for me 18 to 20 million i think that's movable if you put him on a max contract i think you can move him but it's kind of like it's, it's a little bit scaled up even from D'Angelo Russell. Like I don't know if you're getting anything of like significant value back for him. 
because yeah, what is what is Jalen's max? It's probably like four years, like one thirty-five, something in that range. Yeah, I will pull that up as you continue talking. I actually have this ready. Yeah, so I think it is. I think it's like four years, one thirty-five or something like that. Because right now, the max for zero to six years of experience this year was, or no, it's so it's a contract starting at twenty-nine and a half million. So it, we can do it. At, we can do this pretty easily. So no, I got I got it pulled up here. So two thousand twenty would be when he would be eligible. It's one hundred seventeen million is the projected cap. So we're looking at a figure that starts at because he's one through six yeah 29 two fives so it's either four years 100 basically 126 with a new team four years 131 with the prior team or a five-year contract for 170 million yeah that's right um so let's say he signs a four-year extension for 120 million that's not a good deal to me that's not a deal that i'm intrigued by and i am with you 100 percent on that um four years like 115 isn't even all that interesting to me to be honest um i want to be able to get him under 100 and if you made me guess that's why an extension probably does not happen and it's also why i think he is a primary trade candidate i think boss is going to realize this and this is kind of Again, I don't want to be like superficial when it comes to talking about guys as assets, but this is kind of what happens when you draft a wing high in the draft, and he has pedigree and he has value. Like this is probably the, their optimal value to a winning team is in this kind of trade. Uh, let's move on. Let's talk about Buddy Heald. Uh, Buddy Heald had a ridiculously good year last year. Like Buddy Heald had like peak of his powers. Buddy Heald season. Like at, <laughs> what everyone projected in terms of like. If Buddy hits his ceiling, this is going to be it. That's what he did last year. He averaged 21 points, five rebounds, two and a half assists, um, was one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA whenever you account for both volume and percentage. Uh, he shot 653s last year, made 278 of them at 43%, um, 59 true shooting percentage. I think there's a real chance that Sacramento just maxes him. And I think if he gets to the open market, considering 2020 free agency, I think he's going to get maxed by somebody. Um, yes, and if it's not, I it's going to be very close. Yeah, but just agree. His, with how valuable shooting is in the modern game, I think that a lot of teams will... I mean, Buddy was great last year. He's insanely... He's historically good at what he's good at, right? And, and that matters. Cause it's the most important skill in the modern game. So there's going to be a team, no matter what I think about, if it's a valuable contract, just realistically speaking, like if, they, if Sacramento gets him on an extension... For like $5 million cheaper per year than the max. I think that's a win realistically for them. Yeah, if Sacramento can get him on a four-year deal, let's see, four years, 8% raises, um, let's say they started at $25 million, that'd be a, um, sorry, I forgot a zero, uh, that'd be a $112 million deal. If they can do four years, hundred and twelve, I think that'd be a really good deal for them. Like based on reality and circumstance, I agree. I think whatever you're looking at, and if you are planning to keep Buddy Hield, which they clearly are, because he's a really good fit, especially next to Fox and Bagley playing off the ball, and again being one of the three best shooters in the NBA, this is the price you're going to have to pay. And if you can get him for that contract, just relative to what it will be in free agency, I think that's a win. And by the way, for Buddy, by the way, I think he really does have to worry about maximizing money because this is really going to be his only big deal. Uh, in all likelihood right now because he turns 27 in December next year. So you're paying for, let's see, even on a four-year deal, you're paying for years 27, 28, 29, and 30. Uh, I don't know if anyone's going to pay, a, even if Buddy Heald is averaging like, let's say 20 points a game at 30 years old, I don't think he's getting max on that. No. 
you'll still get a pretty solid contract because he'll age well, but it's not going to be anything relative to this, I don't think. Right. So th- this is his deal. Like he needs to really maximize. So if I was him, I would be asking for a max. If I was his people, what would I settle at is the question. Um, I mean, like, could you maybe settle at something like a five-year, $27 million, um, starting point? So like 150, could you do something like if you were the if you were the Kings, would you sign five 150 for Buddy Hield? Oh God, that's a really convoluted question. If I was the agent, I think I would literally just hold out for the max. Um, but I, I agree. I I know there's some like goodwill and stuff there, so maybe slightly slightly less. But really realistically, the leverage is on Buddy Hield's side when you look at free agency. So I. And for Sacramento, it's convoluted because I mean, when you, when you start paying Buddy near max money, you have your core now. Like this is yeah. your team. Like Darren Fox is getting maxed. Like there's no fucking question about it. Like when Jamal Murray right. got that deal, Darren Fox, Darren Fox walked into the office and was like, "I'm that, that's my my contract. I'm getting that that money." And He's I'm literally gonna exiting get- out the days <laughs> on his calendar until he can like go into the office and demand a max. And when they drafted Bagley at two, he's getting max as well. For the production he's going to put up, he's going to put up numbers, and he's going right. to get paid. So that's your core right there. At For for better or for worse, they need Fox to make the leap to being like a top 10 player. They need Bagley to probably make a leap to being a top 15 player if they want to win a title. Both those things are possible. We'll kind of see how it plays out, but this is their core. It's, it's funny how quickly we went from zero to 100 with the Kings. Like Two years ago, there was no hope. Fast forward two years, now it looks like they have their core three players. For what it's worth, if I was Buddy, I'd be willing to sign five one fifty. I think I would okay. do that just because I, I would want the security of five one fifty. I mean, this is you, you have to remember too. Like Buddy Heald is a kid that like grew up in the Bahamas and like they they've shown his house on ESPN before. Like he was like sleeping on a mattress like right next to the dirt, basically. So if I like, I feel like if I was him, I'd maybe I'd get a player option on that fourth year. Um, but I, yes. I would be willing to sign something like 150, I would think. Yeah, it's really easy for me to play like this detached role when I'm not involved and I can't empathize with Buddy. Like if you're looking at a contract with five years, 150 million, like it, it, you're probably going to take it, right? If it's close enough to what you think your market value could be. And if you're the Kings, like a team that has been a disaster for so long, you can set up a core of Buddy Heald, De'Aaron Fox, and Marvin Bagley. Plus, you know, you've built out some role players this year. You're making the playoffs, maybe not next year, but at some point with those guys. So like, I'm, I'm comfortable with that, honestly, if I'm the Kings. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head as far as a culture standpoint as well. And developing guys who have become this, I think that's really important for the – they will forward-looking nature of the organization being like, we're not a joke anymore. This is our core. You know, we're a competent franchise. Uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich uh, is eligible for an extension. Uh, He is still a restricted free agent. He's not really a rookie extension in the same way that some of these other guys are. Let's just talk about him real quick. Like, what do you think Bogdan's number in free agency is versus what he is eligible to sign because what he's eligible to sign, if I remember correctly, is something in the range of a salary starting at $10 So yes, what it would be like, um, four years, 45 in that range, something like that. Correct. Yeah. Cause this is better than an extension that we discussed pre pod. If I was bogged in, I'm not signing an extension <laughs> like I agree I, it, with this, like this market. I'm, I'm going out as, as a ball handling kind of secondary creator wing who can dribble pass and shoot and make decisions. Like I'm testing the damn market I'm, rather than taking like, you know, $11 million on aggregate a year. I, I think he can do better than that. I agree with you. I think he will do better than that. Uh, for what it's worth, Bogdanovich last year uh, did only shoot 42% from the field, 36% from three, though, 83% from the line. Averaged 14 points a night, uh, four assists a game, 
as Cole said, kind of a guy who can handle the ball and really do a lot. Uh, I am generally a fan of his. I think that it would be a smart move for him to wait. I think that uh, he is, again, a guy that turns 27 this year. So I think that this is probably his best chance at getting real money. Uh, if someone offered yep. him like 480, I wouldn't be shocked next year. I, I would not either. I, and I think he can. That's a very realistic. I don't pretty realistic. Let's say he has a, a good season this year. I think that's a pretty realistic outcome for him. I think you just got to be patient and wait this out. Right. I agree with you. Um, that was an easy one. Brandon Ingram. This one's going to be more complicated. Uh, this one's not I, easy. <laughs> I don't even know that this is complicated insofar as, like, I think that the Pelicans, like, can't do an extension with him. I agree with that. This is another, this is basically a carbon copy of Jalen Brown to me as well, as far as the it, same logic applies here. Except you add in the deep vein thrombosis. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Like, like, it's not funny to me. Like, it's actually, like, a risk to me. And, and like, I want to know more about how this goes for him this year. You know what I mean? Like, to yeah. me, it's just simple. Like, I, I'm willing to wait. Yeah, that's definitely fair. I mean, the medical aspect, I didn't even consider into this calculus. I'm just looking at, like, in the aggregate. Let's let's say if Ingram comes back and he's healthy. Let's just entertain that option just to, to get it out of the way. Like, what do you think is a reasonable... What would you pay Brandon Ingram on an, an extension? Um, let's say he... I guess that's not realistic because he wouldn't be an extension there. You have to see it over time. So restricted free agency, what do you think he's worth if he comes back this year and he shows that he's, you know, the same level of player that he was last season when he was healthy? So he was like a 50% field goal percentage guy, 30, shot like 34% from three on like still limited attempts, right? Um, So like the last two years, he's probably taken 250 attempts from three. And his shot, maybe like 35. So maybe like league average over the last two years from three uh, on like easy catch and shoot shots as well. Like nothing complicated there. Yeah. All sorts of upside still because he's only 21 years old. Like he still hasn't turned 22. Oh, man. Um, I do feel like there's still a leap coming from Brandon. I, I don't think I'd pay the max, but like similar deal to Jalen in terms of what I'd be willing to pay. Like for a hundred yep. something in that range um w- wouldn't want to start it at like 25 or anything and get up to you know what did that be like 118 on a four-year extension but yeah i i would want to i i would just want to wait this out i think and let him hit restricted free agency i think like, that other, is the best course good well like the other thing about this is i do i'm like skeptical on how him and zion fit together Oh, absolutely. hundred percent. I think the best case scenario for me, again, is hopefully he's healthy, of course, like for him and for his contract moving forward and everything like that. You, you see him come back this season. And then I think the Pelicans look to maybe move him again. That's similar to Jalen Brown. I don't know what his contract is going to be. I, I re- it's really hard to say again, because he's the number two pick and he's been pretty productive. There's going to be upside associated with him and you're paying a premium for that. I don't think you're paying necessarily for the player. You're, you're playing on, you're making a play on the upside. And I think you're exactly right as far as his fit next to Zion long term is not ideal. And so, from a Pelican standpoint, I think you absolutely wait it out either to trade before the deadline or to see what he commands on the open market. At worst case, look at how many deals we saw, like with Malcolm Brogdon this summer, where you know sign and trade, you get a first round pick. Right. That was only a specific case. They're mostly, they're second round picks that come back. So. If that's the worst case scenario for the Pelicans, maybe you get something back for him. So let's say he does basically the same exact thing he did with the Lakers. 18 points, five rebounds, three assists, questionable three-point percentage, 
50% from the field. Um, you know, 55 true shooting percentage last year, so right around league average. Uh, defense, long, switchable, but still not super high level on the help side. I think so. I think if he would do that and stay healthy all year, I think someone maxes him in restricted free agency. I agree. I think that that's a very realistic outcome for him. There's going to be a team that talks themselves in, especially, again, with this free agency class. A lot of teams are going to look for upside and what they consider upside. I'm glad that you break it down with the numbers and stuff like production, because I don't even look at that stuff for the most part. I judge it more on impact and like. No, I know. But like when you're talking about free agency, that's the stuff that ends up getting paid. Like fucking Bobby Portis just made 15 million this year. No, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, I'm glad you bring that up because that is the realistic way of how this is being viewed by most of the people and by the market. It's like what you produce, what your age is. And I I do think that is going to lead. A lot of people might be saying, like, holy shit, Brandon Ingram, there's no way he's worth a max contract. But it's not necessarily what you're worth all the time. It's what the market is going to bear. So that's the case. Like, I I think someone is going to pay him. He's going to be signing that max deal at 22 years old. I think someone's going to do it. Like, I, I wouldn't do it, but I think someone will do it. And this is a kind of an interesting predicament for the Pelicans as well, just because uh, is a team going to feel good enough about Ingram to trade for him, trade an asset, and then max him? Like, I can see a team in, in restricted free agency maxing him and being like, okay, Pelicans, you match or you don't, right? Are they going to actually trade something in the interim for him, knowing that maybe the Pelicans don't match long-term under the idea that he's not a great fit next to Zion? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> that's a really great question. I was going to say, like, to me, he strikes me as like a deadline deal kind of guy. Um, gets healthy, shows that he can stay healthy, puts up good numbers because he will put up numbers like wherever he is. Like he's very capable of producing at this stage. We know that. Yes. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like, does any team just go, yeah, we're willing to give you a first round pick? Maybe, I mean, maybe the Pelicans, maybe David Griffin is just like such a great negotiator that everyone believes him when he says things. <laughs> and he's able to do this but yeah they, they can't extend him right now i don't think like i just don't see a world where that makes sense yeah not when then like the day before the regular season deadline for extensions i don't think that makes sense i mean they're gonna have much better intel again from us but you want to see how it plays out on the floor as far as health like just overall there's not a lot of incentive unless ingram's giving it a kind of discount similar to jalen brown where it becomes almost impractical for him to do so so karis lavert is the next guy here um lavert was awesome this year, I thought from a winning perspective, uh, 14 points, four assists, four rebounds. Uh, his three-point shooting hasn't quite translated in the way that I expected it to, but he has developed so much more on the ball and in terms of just being able to play without it and play well without it. And I do think the three-point shooting is going to come at some point. Would you agree? I think so. I feel I'm not like incredibly confident about it but i'm pretty i'm like reasonably confident it's going to happen it's definitely within his range of outcomes and if i was to bet on it i'd probably say yes like this is a guy that shot 40 percent from three um and shot 40 percent for three each of his three years at michigan that he played like pretty real substantial minutes um yep and did it over 334 attempts so like i look at it and i'm like okay he probably should shoot it at some point um good feel for the game i think someone in next free agency would max him and it would not surprise yep. me if Brooklyn essentially tries to get a discount right now, but maybe doesn't end up getting a discount and just kind of maxes him. Yeah, 100% in agreement with that. A, a guy, again, a playmaking kind of wing 6'6 player who can dribble, pass, and shoot. We think he can shoot. A pretty decent bet for that. Like, this is what the modern game is, is getting guys of that kind of size who have skill level. And with Karis, I thought he was honestly the, the Nets' best player before getting hurt 
this past season. I thought he came out of the gates real strong, and he was the guy before D'Angelo Russell kind of took over at the end of the season. And I, he's going to get if he shows that same acumen this season, because again, obviously Durant's not playing. He's going to have usage offensively. If he can show that. I think he can easily be a max guy in free agency. I think this is exactly what the link, the current modern game covets. And the Nets are not going to be a team that has cap space going forward. Um, I would just do this extension now, and I would venture it's going to be between 110 and 120 million over four years. Right. Yes, and I think that's honestly, there's a chance this happens. There's a very real chance this happens because Levert like, personifies everything that they love about their organization as far as his work ethic, his character, and locking him up to any kind of deal. I think it's going to be, at the worst case, it's going to be movable. You can get off of it. And the upside is you might have your number three guy offensively. Like, can you imagine a perimeter offense of Kyrie, Durant, and Karis LeVert. If Durant is anything like I hope he will be returning to somewhat like his previous form. That's just right. a really formidable perimeter tandem. Right. Yeah, I agree. Um, the thing with LeVert, also you have to worry about the feet long term. That was a problem at Michigan. Also, he missed half the season this year. Kind of a fluky deal. I mean, let's not assume that that is something that's going to be predictive going forward. But um, he, he has had lower leg issues at this point. Like, we, we could just say that, that this is a continual factor, and I think it is something that must be considered when uh, potentially pricing in an extension. 100%. Um, I do hope Karis gets paid, though, and I, like, I'm i with you. I think that that, honestly, I think that probably, without inside information, just like knowing the CBA and knowing the way that these things tend to work, I would venture that there's a good chance that happens. Yeah, I for some reason, I just think it, it makes sense. Like, it's a little bit of a bet on health. Who knows if he gets any kind of contract language in there to the effect of like Embiid or someone like that. Um, as far as these specific injuries, who knows about that? But I, I do think it's a calculated risk for a calculated bet for Karis too. being like, I'm going to bet I'm, I'm just going to sign this now. Maybe I don't feel 100 percent about my health moving forward, even though it could be a little bit fluky. But it, it makes sense for both sides and just the Nets showing, you know, goodwill to I think probably their most core player as far as this entire process so far. I think Karis stands out. I mean, a lot of people will say D'Angelo, but I do think Karis from the beginning was kind of like the guy that they were featuring. Yeah. And, and again, like if I was Karis, I would want security. Like if you could say we're willing to give you nine figures right now, given your injury history, I would lock that up in a heartbeat. Yep. Agreed. Um, next guy I have here is Dario Saric. Um, obviously going to be new with the Phoenix Suns. I think there's a real chance he's a top 10 free agent on the market next year. If you're Phoenix, I, given that it's a new team, I probably don't just flat out extend him. I want to see how this works first. Um, and I let him go to restricted free agency. I like the idea potentially of him and placing him in between Mikhail Bridges and DeAndre Ayton from an offensive perspective. Defensively, it's going to rely on Ayton being good, but everything Phoenix is building right now relies on DeAndre Ayton figuring things out defensively. So I, I will... I like the fit, but like I still would just want to see it play out a little bit more. I, I can't agree any more than everything you've said as far as that goes. I want to see how it translates to the floor, again, with the exception of if it's such a crazy deal that Sarich is taking, like a low contract. Like if we're talking like below $10 million a year or something. I don't even think that's that crazy, frankly. Like maybe to me, he's more even like a $6 million, $7 million guy, but that's completely unrealistic. So this is something that's not even worth discussing because he's not going to take that low as a younger player who you know has playmaking traits for the four position and for Phoenix's standpoint unless you're getting a crazy deal like you want to see how it translates to the floor i think there's like a real chance he gets 20 million dollars next summer like like it's not out of the question i have no idea what's going to happen next summer that should be like a common thread what we're talking about now like there's going to be contracts that a lot of people are like what the fuck like it's possible like he's definitely better than terry rosier right 
if I was his agent, <laughs> I'm definitely using that. <laughs> um, yeah. I know he started like shit for Philadelphia this year, but he was also like pretty good in their playoff run two years, or not this past year, but the year before that when he was actually with Philadelphia. Um, 15.7 rebounds, three assists a game as a 23-year-old, and then last year he was just dealing with the move, and I think you can make a real case that that was a struggle. And honestly, he came on like pretty strong late, if I remember correctly. So I look at this and think that he's going to get real money. He's going to get real, real money. And if I was Phoenix, if I could get him for like 12 a year, I would probably do it. Like if you if you said like 448 for Saric, I would do it. But I don't think there's any way that Dario should agree to that, to be honest. Yeah, very much agree. And they're already, like you said, Phoenix is all in on Aiden's defense. So they might just say like, we'll just take the shooting and whatnot. And maybe they even try to get him on like a $14 million a year deal or something to that effect. But I do think the safe play, they traded down a couple spots in the draft to pick up his restricted free agency rights, very cheap, cost-effective asset this year who can start for them. I, I think it's fine if they just let this roll into restricted free agency and then see what the bidding is like. Maybe they get a discount, but like you said, there's also a chance that a team just pays him a boatload of money. And we don't know right now if, if that's going to be tenable defensively because that, it, it all depends on Aiden. If he was willing to sign a four-year $57 million a year deal, would you do it? Uh, I don't think so. I, I still think I would hold off just because I've seen, I'm not saying they're the same player, but just seeing a player that is not good defensively and like TJ Warren, for example, was like a, a negative asset. It ended up being that just because you traded him along with what the 32nd pick to get off that, that money. Like, I, I just don't know if he's going to be a good enough fit. And he can clearly pass at a much higher level than TJ Warren. But from a spacing standpoint, I'm not sure if that might leave a, a taste in Phoenix's mouth as well, being like, we have to see this work out before we commit this kind of salary. The last super important guy here is Demonis Sabonis. Um, Sabonis obviously has had a great uh, two years in Indiana. Last year, 14 points, nine rebounds, three assists in 25 minutes a game. You extrapolate that out to per 36s. He was a 2014 and four guy. Uh, I don't know. I think that they should move him, to be honest. I don't know if they will, but I think that they should. I mean, what do we think that this deal looks like? I have no idea because you have to consider what... Indiana has already committed to arguably Zabonis' long-term position with Turner in the past and then just drafting Goga Batadze. Are you really going to pay and commit these kinds of resources to three bigs? Um, Zabonis is a very good player, but I think his value to the Pacers at this point might be best optimized via trade. I, I just don't know if you could commit. Like, what does he get on the open market if he gets to, even as a restricted free agent next summer, what's he getting? His production, like you said, is, is pretty crazy. Like, there's a team that's probably going to pay him a lot of money, and, and the Pacers can't really reasonably match that, because you don't know, again, if he can p- play next to Turner long-term. That just seems like a, a bad allocation of resources on the floor. So, Nikola Vucevic got, like, for 100, something in that range, right? Yep. So in the, they're paying him for age 29, 30, 31, 32. You'd be paying Sabonis for ages uh, 23, 24, 25, 26. Or no, I'm sorry, 24, 25, 26, 27 on that deal. I think he gets at least 490 on the open market, like easily. Yeah, in <laughs> I just don't think you can really pay him to anything near that if you're the Pacers. I mean, are you going to pay him more than you paid Miles Turner just from like a political standpoint? Like, I I don't even know if you can do that. Nope. I don't think you can. Um, Do you think he's better than Miles Turner? 
I think with the progression Miles made last season, as far as he was better in space defensively, he made movement um, incremental improvements. And I thought actually in the playoffs, he was very good defensively. So I'd say just from my standpoint, from a defensive perspective, that's what I'm looking at for bigs. You can argue Turner was just outside of all NBA in that level. So I would say with the steps he made, I think Turner's a better player, but Sabonis is really good and he's better offensively. I agree with you on all of that. Uh, I thought Miles was one of the five best defensive players in the NBA last year. So just give yeah. him what I want and the fact that he can shoot. Um, you can play a limited role with him pretty easily on offense that doesn't affect your spacing. I would rather have Miles Turner. Um, I think that that Miles Turner deal, people like, I, I love that deal at the time. People felt like we're not nearly as high on that deal as I was. Uh, that looks silly to me now. It was. I didn't think it was unreasonable. I didn't look at it and say, this is a home run. And now I look at the number. I'm like, that was a home run. <laughs> like 18 million this year. Like, good God. Like for this step he made, it's not like the same situation, but kind of it, reminds it, me a little a bit of It's a flat 18. It's not just like 18 this year. It's a that's flat crazy. 18. Yeah, it's a really good deal. I mean, now it looks like a home run. It's, it reminds me a little bit of the reception. Remember when Mike Conley was offered that extension? Not the same player, of course, different position, but people were like, this is shit. And then you're like, the next season, you're like, oh, this is actually a really, really good deal. It just kind of reminds me of the reaction to this a little bit. So if you're, if you're the Pacers, here's another question for you. If you're the Pacers... And you get the opportunity to say to Sabonis, yeah, we'll sign you to a 490 deal. Is Sabonis more valuable on an extension uh, that he has signed? Because what? How long would they have to wait until after the extension to trade him? Uh, six months. So you could sign him to an extension when? In like August, right? And maybe be able to move him before the deadline? I think that's when, right. I think when does the extension period start? Is it late August? Is it late August? You can extend anytime now. It just cuts off the day before the regular season. As far as rookie extensions, there's not like an actual day though where they can actually be signed on the dotted line because that's like obviously you can agree to them now. But is there like a date that like there's like a window? I thought maybe maybe it is it now. You're probably right. Yeah, we're in the window now. You can agree and you can actually sign the extension now up to the day before the regular season starts. Then that's so, that's when you can't sign for for rookie extensions. So if they would sign him now, they'd be able to trade him in January. If he said, I would be willing to take a four-year, $90 million extension right now, is he more valuable than just trading him now with his restricted free agency rights or less valuable? God, that's a damn great question. I think I would rather have his restricted free agency rights and just play the market and just say he's restricted. There's a chance that with all these bigs, there's an influx of bigs. Like How many teams really need this this player at this price? I think I would just... At that number, I think I would just roll the dice, but there's arguments either way. Like, if you think it's an absolute certainty that he's getting, you know, 20 to 23 million a year, maybe you think about doing that. I think he's definitely going to get 20 a year. Maybe not 22, <laughs> yes. 23. I think he's definitely getting 20. I think we have to go through this is going to be for bigs. I always like to go through the teams and like the hypotheticals and whatnot. I, I agree with you in like a, in a vacuum based on what I think the market is going to be just as far as player talent. But as far as position, all it takes is like a couple teams. Like if Orlando wouldn't have offered Vucevic that deal, where was it coming from this summer? Like the Kings, if the Kings passed, which they did because they couldn't really run up tempo with him. Like who was giving him that 25 million a year outside of Orlando? So if the Cavs decide to not like, uh, deal with any of their free agents like they decide instead of taking on more salary to extend it out um to extend out like their cap situation i'm pretty sure they're gonna have like 20 million in cap space next summer right because all of brandon knight tristan thompson jordan clarkson and john henson all expire right 
I think that's right. Yeah, and he would. I mean, having Sabonis. And yes, you're right. All of Tristan Thompson, Brandon Knight, Jordan Clarkson, John Henson. All of those contracts are off the books. And in theory, like Kevin Love plus him doesn't work. But I don't think the Cavs are thinking that way. Like I really do think that. Right. It's a bonus and like a dribble handoff and pick and roll would really help their younger guards. Right. So like there's one team. Um, I think Washington is still looking for a big man and Jan Mahimi comes off the books. And if they trade Bradley Beal, uh, I would imagine they'll be getting salary relief in some regard. Um, trying to think of just like other random teams there. I think there are going to be enough to where it's going to be pretty easy to find a landing spot. I think Toronto as well, depending on the Siakam extension, because they have all of those guys coming off the books with Lowry, Gasol, Labaka, yep. Van Fleet's a free agent. So th- there's, there'll probably be destinations for sure if you take a closer look at it. It's a calculated risk. I, I, I still think if I'm a team, I would rather have his restricted free agency rights just because, again, if these teams sign free agents, the market can collapse, and at least there's a shot of getting him on a better contract. Like If, you're, if it was like he was extending for like 17 a year or something in that range – then I think maybe you'd rather have him on that extension. I think there's a real chance a team... Like, I think that if he averages, like, 15 and 10 this year, there's a chance a team maxes him. Oh, man, that would just... See, the reaction on Twitter to that would be absolutely ridiculous. Like, I would not do this deal, but if he averages 15 and 10 in, like, 27 minutes a game or something like that, I mean, there, there are teams that would do that, I think. Like, you look at... So, San Antonio's in, like, a weird spot. Right, because they have Pirtle, and we'll talk about Pirtle and uh, Dejounte Murray here in a second. But theoretically, they should have like a decent amount of space if um, Demar Derozan doesn't come back, and like they could very easily decide to replace Lamarcus Aldridge because I think he's on a non guarantee next year uh, with someone seven million dollar partial. Yeah, right? yeah. So like Aldridge is contract is only seven million guaranteed next year if he's waived by 629 so seven out of that 24 right so they're gonna have space next year like they could very easily get up to like 30 million in space and if you say hey you can get demonis Sabonis to play with your young guards and we can build that way um yeah there's a that that looks semi-appealing to me i'm very curious to see the reaction to whatever contract is because i, I don't know if, if a lot of people know how good Sabonis is in certain ways. Like he's a very, very good player. I, I don't know if I'd pay him what his market's going to be, but to a lot of fans who haven't seen him play, it's going to be one hell of a reaction. So let's talk about Jakob Pertle and Dejounte Murray next. Um, I think with Dejounte, they have to they have to wait and see, right? Like they're not just yes. going to give him money now. I agree. I, I think you got to wait and see to an extent. You you know what he is defensively. That is the one thing that maybe leads to a deal is you you, you know what he's going to be on that end for sure. It's about what, what he can the improvements he can make offensively and whatnot. But it's probably most prudent to wait. But if I'm him and you're offering me a contract based off of defense alone, I'm waiting to see if I can prove myself offensively. I totally agree with that. Um, Jakob Pertl, on the other hand, again, like this is a team now that given the Marcus is a non-guarantee next year and they could pretty easily move that deal this year. I think like they, if there's a team out there that is looking for cap space next summer, that is trying to compete this year, that's a really appealing deal. Like I think San Antonio probably wants to compete, but, um, you could pretty easily make a case, I think for LaMarcus Aldridge, very interesting trade target. Um, other than that, they don't really have too many bigs going forward like they just drafted Luka Samanich but he's 19 and has a ways to go other than that they don't really have any long-term guys here yeah they don't and I do think that with Jakob Pertl you're not 
going to be threatened with any kind of Sabonis-like potential ridiculous offer. He's just not as no. good, and he's much more under the radar. He's exactly the kind of player that Pop usually likes, though, and I think you can get him to a bargain contract eventually. And if you're Pirtle, maybe you play out this year and say, maybe I can earn a little bit more this season, a little bit more reputability. Let's say they trade LaMarcus Aldridge in this hypothetical situation. Maybe he can produce more and get his numbers up. I don't think there's a lot of incentive to deal from either standpoint right now, unless you're giving Proto like $10 million a year. And I don't know if you, there's enough incentive to do that yet. So the deal that like kind of makes me think is Larry Nance's last year, right? So it's like right around, I think it was like 442 in that range. Okay. Um, do you think Jakob Pertl or Larry Nance is better? Oh, I think they're both backup centers on good teams. Like they can, you can steal Pertl minutes as a starting center. I think I'd probably say Pertl, maybe, but ah, that's really that's really tough. Pertl's better rim protector defender. Nance is a better uh, offensive player. I think pretty easily. Uh, but th- like this, that's the kind of guy that I think he is. Like I think Larry Nance is a starting caliber big. I think Jakob Pertl is like a end of the you know bottom 30 or bottom half of the league starting center. Um, if you could get him 440, 445, 450, I don't hate that deal at all. I would probably want to wait if only just because I have the potential for max cap space next year pretty easily. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, who's next here? We've got Torian Prince uh, again. Like if you're going to sign Karis LeVert to an extension and you like Torian Prince and can get him at like $10 million a year, I don't hate that idea. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a Torian Prince guy. So you, the caveat you said was if you like Torian Prince, I think if Torian Prince was good and like the player that people think he was, he'd be on the Hawks right now. I'm actually pretty certain of that. Um, oh, he's like an atrocious under- defender. That's the biggest. Yeah, like everyone thinks he's like this, you know, versatile defender. He's awful on defense. Yeah, he, he's like people view him as a three and D guy. He's more of actually like a shot maker. Like his shooting has been really good, and he can actually shoot off the dribble. He just can't defend in a team construct. He's, his defense has not been nearly good enough. So. I don't know like what number it depends on your evaluation of him. Like if you think he's a quality rotation player, getting a wing like that for, you know, ten, eleven million dollars a year, I think that's a fine contract. And he's like a better shooter than Tony Snell in my opinion, but we see that contract and how that aged. And that was kind of like a we'll give a wing a contract and extension to eleven, twelve million a year and it hasn't worked out. So it depends on what your evaluation is here. Yeah, if you can get him at four forty or lower, I would say. Maybe four forty four forty five or lower. I would be willing to do that. Um, if you're not, then I would just say go to free agency. Because again, like this is not a team that's going to have cap space next year anyway. So if they just want to get a deal done, sure, like do it, I guess. But like, there's no, there's nothing stopping the Nets from doing this. Yeah, it's just for me, it just comes down to what the value is. If they feel like it's a value for them, they'll do it. If it's not valuable, might as well just write it out. Right. Like, he's taken 800 three-point attempts and been a 39% three-point shooter over the course of the last two years. Is that enough, given that he's six foot eight and that they're going to need, like, bigger shooters for this team? Like, maybe, I guess. Like, to me, like, if he was willing to agree to 440, I would sign it. If he wasn't, I would probably just move on. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not even sure if I'd like him at that number, frankly, but you could talk yourself into it. Like, I definitely see the argument for it. Yeah. Um, Malik Beasley is a guy that I really like. Uh, kind of mentioned that on this podcast already. Uh, I thought he was one of the more underrated players in the NBA last year. Uh, averaged 11 points a game, 40% from three, good from the floor overall. Really a good cutter with Nikola Jokic. Another guy, though, that, like, uh, if he's willing to sign for four years and... 45 million i would do that if he's not just go on ahead and go to restricted free agency 
Pretty much. He, you know, he's, he's definitely a good stylistic fit for what they do. Explosive shooter, can definitely make shots, can get out and transition, really, really good athlete. Not the best team defender. He lapses a lot. I was kind of disappointed with his team defense in the playoffs and how many more of those guys can they have. But they, like in the crucial parts of their season, they relied on him over Will Barton. So that's something to consider. But if you're him, if you produce have another season and considering the market for wings, like I might just ride this out if I was him. If he was willing to accept four Fifty-two. Would you do it? Oh, geez. Knowing That's really that really interesting. Don't you don't have cap space next summer? No, you don't for sure. So, yeah, I do. I think I might just because I do feel like he's tradable on that contract. But I think a lot of people thought that about Will Barton, and now what is his value? You know what I mean? It's not the same case in every every sense. But it, there is a little bit of risk here, even though I do think that a lot of teams are going to view him, meaning Malik Beasley, as at least like maybe a rotation caliber shooter. So I have to think about it more. But my initial gut says probably. I think I would do that if he was willing to take that. Um, 460? Oh, boy. I think that might be getting a little bit too high for me. Uh, yeah, I would agree. Uh, yeah, 460 gets tough. Um, yeah, Beasley's really interesting, man. Like, there's real incentive for Denver to do this just to get him under contract. He's another question, too, where, like, okay, we can get him on this extension at 454. He's probably more valuable in a trade at 454. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I honestly don't know. I think that's like we'll get to like general takeaways when we get through these guys. I don't know how many more we have left, but I have a couple comments in that respect, so I'll just leave it for that. Um, yeah, he's the last one on my list. Do you have anyone else? I'm looking through right now. It doesn't look like it. I think that's because a lot of these guys, obviously, they've been their you know team options have been declined, so there's not a lot of valuable guys. Like we can talk about Denzel Valentine, but there's not really much to say about him. He's, he didn't get declined or anything, but we haven't seen nearly anything from him on the floor to suggest having a conversation about Four, Chris Dunn. Ten. Chris Dunn. Chris, what mean, about Chris? Yeah, I think that they're trying to trade him, so I, I don't really see a deal there. Marquise Chris has been yeah. declined. Was Thon Makers declined? I don't think so. No, I think so, his is still alive. Uh, Sure. <laughs> I don't know. What to, I don't know what to do there. I think Dunn is the most interesting out of that group just because of the pedigree. He's apparently starting for them this year. I think they should start Sadaransky, but they're apparently starting Dunn. Maybe that is in concert in an effort to build up his trade value. I don't know. I think that's right. Um, oh, Juan yeah. and Gomez. It was another one. Wancho. Um, I just want to get Wancho out of Denver because they just don't play him Shoot. enough. Too many guys. Too many guys in that rotation. I liked him his rookie year. Um, then, of course, suffered the the illness setback, and we'll kind of see if he can get back to form. I haven't w- honestly seen him play in, in a while. So it's someone I want to see, but I really liked him after his rookie season. Uh, DeAndre Bembry, uh, Malik, Malachi Richardson had his uh, option declined. Luwawu had yes. his option. Or no, Luwawu. Is Luwawu even? Yeah, he had his option declined, He's, didn't he? Yes, correct. Bryce Johnson had, did he have a second year option declined? <laughs> Even though the second year isn't an won't. option, like I think he got cut. I think he got cut. <laughs> yeah. Um, Corkmaz just re-signed in Philadelphia. Scal, uh, I mean, do we want to mention Scal? Uh, we can. Um, I have no idea where that goes. I, would, I, I mean, I know where it goes. He's not getting extended, but yeah. No, no he's not getting extended. Uh, Damian Jones is on this list. Uh, Damian Jones just got traded to Atlanta. Can't imagine yep. them extending him. So yeah, that that's everyone. Because um, Simmons is done, and Dragon Bender we talked about earlier. So yeah. Yeah, so I mean, my overarching takeaways, 
from this is if you are one of these high pedigree guys in 2016 and you look at 2020 free agency, I know some cap space can open up like the Knicks, for example, could decline those second year team options and there could be more cap space. But I'm looking at it and saying, like, if you're not paying me above market rate, if you're not coming with basically the full boat almost for like Jalen Brown, Brandon Ingram, Buddy Heald, we already discussed, like there's not a lot of incentive this year to me to sign early and, and create value deals. Like some, some years you'll have like Michael K. Gilchrist, which ended up being a, like a bad contract, but at 13 million at the time, people thought like that's reasonable, right? I don't see a lot of incentive for the players this year to be like, yeah, we're, we'll just settle for, you know, 15 million a year. Right, and I mentioned uh, Buddy Heald doing like a five-year deal potentially with Buddy Heald. I mean, there's no not having thought about that. There's no way that they're not saving five years for De'Aaron Fox. That's uh, you can have two, right? You just you can have two drafted. You can't have one via draft and one via trade, and then another one. I, I can't remember what the rule is, but you, that would be an issue for Bagley too, right? So maybe that's right. a four-year deal. So I mean, maybe they try and do just four at the max with Heald. I mean, yeah. like. I don't know. That's that's a really tough question for them, I think, that they're going to have to figure out. Yep. Uh, buddy, I, yeah, buddies, totally, I think, yeah. is one that gets done, though. Like, I think that they figure it out. I would lean that way, too, just because I do feel like they're going to appreciate what he's done for the franchise, and they're not in really in position to be, like, free agency players. We just kind of saw what they did with their cap space, and it was fine. I, I don't know. There's some argument about that. But I, I do think that they're going to look at him and say, he's one of our core three guys. Let's get him locked up. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, Cole, we got we to gotta do... Uh, Reviews. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. We, we got to do reviews. <laughs> All right. We got, um, got a few here. Shorts King Joel. Basketball Nerd Scatterplot is how this is titled. Uh, I, I would say that's about right. Things you can expect from game theory. Approximately 4.3 uses of the word like per run-on sentence. Cole talking so fast he breaks the sound barrier twice per episode. Somewhere in the range of seven to nine, you can't tell me's from Dieter, followed by two to three, you just can't. A 70% chance of Sam making an Australian football references within the first two minutes. Also expect Sam and guests to talk about defense more than most players do in their entire lives. 11 out of 10 (laughs) would recommend to nerds. Can't say it any better than that, man. <laughs> that is that is spectacular. Shout out to Joel. Um, please keep leaving reviews. We will. I've read two on the podcast this week. Uh, keep leaving them. We will keep reading them. Uh, shout out to Joel for leaving that one. Shout out to journalist Nate for leaving the last one earlier this week. Um, but yeah, keep leaving reviews. We'll keep shouting you guys out on podcasts. We really appreciate it. Um, I think that's all I got, though, Cole. Is that all you got? I'm good, man. I think we touched on basically everything we can at this point in the summer. Um, you know, there'll be some more buildup. Maybe I'll get some more FIBA tape and we'll both watch that or, or, you know, AAU and shit. But for now, I think that's good. Well, we wanted to do, um, we want to do 2020 free agency class at some point too. So we'll probably do that yes. at some point. Um, but I think that's all I got. I'm excited to go to the movies tonight to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm excited uh, for the weekend here where I have to do more wedding planning. But that's all I got right now. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.